James, um, I'm just trying to think of the best, best way to kind of politely describe it. He, he was well built. You wouldn't want to meet James on, you know, in a dark street at night. Uh, you know, he's, he's built more bouncer-like than long-distance uh, runner. Um, and throughout James's um, life, uh, he was very used to kind of getting what he wanted. He was used to, you know, if he said things, people did things. He was kind of used to that. He'd probably, it's probably fair to say he'd grabbed hold of a few people uh, in, his, in his life. And you know, when I hear his story, it genuinely kind of puts tingles up my spine. Um, so for James, um, he'd gone through a period of life, it kind of fairly steady, fairly ordinary, life kind of ticking along until um, just one, one day at work, absolutely everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. I don't know if you've ever experienced a, a day like that. Uh, but the, the reality for him is everything that went wrong was on his shoulders. He knew when the investigation happened, all the fingers of blame would be pointing directly to him. It kind of wasn't his fault, but he was the one who carried the responsibility. He was the one who had the shoulder at the burden of blame. And in that moment, he, he kind of could just see that he was about to lose everything. He couldn't see particularly a, a way forward. He could just see his life falling to pieces, and he began to kind of think there's just no way to carry on. And it's at, it's at the point where James is about to take his own life that he has a conversation with two Christians. Two Christians who just begin to tell him their story, begin to share Jesus Christ with him. And as they do so, things begin to change for James. It's, it's really remarkable. That conversation stops him, if you like, in his tracks and turns his life completely around. It's probably fair to say in that moment, that conversation saved his life there and then, but it also saved his life eternally because James very quickly became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus Christ. As I said, that, that man had kind of grabbed hold of a few, fair few people in his life. But at that moment, God, in his grace, grabbed hold of James. And he's baptized. And it's, a, it's an incredibly joyful uh, occasion. It's a great celebration. You see, not only did Jesus have an impact on James, but as his life changed, it impacted his family, his whole household. And so as James is baptized in the service, he's standing alongside members of his family who are also baptized. Don't you want to kind of be there? Wouldn't that be just the most encouraging occasion? It's not just a happy occasion. James is genuinely filled with joy. A joy, that kind of joy that only comes through the Holy Spirit. And James becomes part of a fairly new church plant. It's fragile. It's small but it grows, and it grows steadily. And this, this new church plant doesn't have an easy ride in the first couple of years, but, but one thing marks this church plant out, just as it marks James out, and that is joy. You know, they don't have loads of resources to, to kind of spend, but they make a commitment as a church that they're going to support a missionary 
And they do that. As I say, this is a story that's been shared with me. I, w- I wasn't at the baptism, and I don't actually know James. I don't know his family. I've never been to the church plant. And some of you might know why that is. Because the man being baptized, well, we, if you were here this morning, we heard about it in Acts 16. He was a jailer in Philippi. I don't know if he was called James. I just needed a name. The two Christians, he had that conversation that spared his life in that moment and saved his life in eternity. Paul and Silas. The church plant, it's the church in Philippi. And the joy, that's very real. In fact, in Acts 16, verse 34, we're told that the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And sometimes I find it really helpful to kind of tell the story in that way to remind me that this is a real story. And that it's, it's relatable. Yes, there's a, there's a distance of something like 1,900 years between us here this evening and the Philippian jailer and the, the church in Philippi. But we don't need to keep our distance from what we're going to hear God saying through his word by the Holy Spirit this evening. Paul writes a letter to this, this church plant in Philippi, uh, the letter of Philippians. Um, and he writes it because he's aware something in their life has changed. You know that being marked out by joy? It just seems to have disappeared. It's like a missing note in their life. Joy in the Lord was being replaced by feeling anxious. There was pressure being put on the church from from outside. They were living in a culture that wasn't particularly friendly to Christians or to the Christian message of Jesus. And perhaps in a way that's not a million miles away from our experience today. And as joy was being replaced by a a feeling of anxiousness, so their eagerness to serve one another was was just starting to get replaced by grumbling and by disagreement. Maybe amongst the Philippians, there were just one or two who were starting to go, is it right that we carry on supporting Paul as our missionary because he's in prison again? Is it the best use of our resources? Other churches don't seem to be supporting Paul in the same way. I mean, is, is, that, is, that, is it right for us to support someone who seems to upset so many people? Now, our, our grumbles, our disagreements might not be over our mission partners. But it might be over how things are done in the life of a church. Uh, they might be grumbles and disagreements at the moment as, as Lester Dysus looks at how resources and clergy are, are kind of deployed in this church and the churches around us. Um, it might be how, how we spend our money. What, what do we spend our money on as a church? When there is an anxiousness, when there are grumbles, it becomes a lot harder to live out the vision that Paul has for the Philippians. Uh, we find it in chapter 1, verse 27. We heard it last week, but let me remind us. His vision for them is to be standing firm in the one spirit, striving together as one the faith of the gospel. You see how when we're full of anxiety, when we're full of grumbles and disagreements, that becomes very hard to live out. And so Paul writes this letter, and he writes, as we heard last week, with deep affection for them, and a deep ambition. His affection, his ambition is, is completely Jesus-shaped. And we're going to pick up where we, uh, pick up where we left off uh, last week and carrying on hearing what Paul has to say. So if you want to grab your Bibles, 
Uh, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading, or Judas is going to start reading for us. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 at verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of self-ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To pick up where we, we, we left off, we've, we've heard Paul's uh, affection, his ambition. And, and if you like, we, we now get Paul giving a bit of reassurance, I think, uh, to the Christians in, in Philippi. He's sort of saying, you, you don't need to worry about me, what's going on for me. You don't need to worry about what others are saying about me. But I think these are words that are more than words of reassurance. I think Paul also writes these as a, a bit of a, a kind of example of what it means uh, to live with Jesus being greater than your circumstances. What it means to live with Jesus being greater than your reputation. And in doing so, discovering uh, that is a place of joy. Paul's writing to this, this church where joy appears to have gone missing. And do you notice how Paul writes in verse 18, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul continues uh, to rejoice. What's the source of his rejoicing? Well, I don't think it can be his, his, his circumstance. It doesn't appear to be his reputation. His source of rejoicing is because the gospel message, the good news about Jesus Christ, is advancing. It's going forwards. It's being made known to more and more people. That's what puts a smile on Paul's face. That's what warms his heart. See, when Jesus is greater than your circumstances and your situation, joy in the Lord starts to return. When Jesus becomes greater than your reputation, you're freed up to serve others. The first thing is, it, Jesus is greater than our circumstances. So Paul begins verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. So what's happened um, to Paul? Well, it's, it's become a concern. It's become a worry for this church in Philippi. So much so that they sent one of their members, a guy called Epaphroditus, uh, to go to see Paul, to see how he was doing, uh, and to help him and to serve him. See, we probably find Paul under arrest. He's probably not in prison at this point. He's probably under house arrest. Um, but we need to think more than just a tag around the ankle and a curfew. 
Uh, for Paul, he would have had chains. And chains to his right and to his left would have been uh, a, a member of uh, one of the guards. He's waiting a decision about his future. And it's not a small decision. If he's found innocent, he's free to go. If he's found guilty, he's facing the death sentence. And Paul knew that if he was free, there were still plenty of places he could go around the place where there were people who would far rather him out of the picture and might try and do something about it. And he still carried some of the scars, both physically and mentally, of, of how that had gone before. And what does Paul want the Philippians to know? That what's happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel. And so in verse 13 we read, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's saying, do you know what? Me being chained up like this, yeah, it's rough and it's rotten, but it's given me incredible opportunities. So I've got opportunities here to share my faith in Jesus with people who would not normally ever get a chance to hear it. The soldiers who guarded him, uh, probably made up of the elites, kind of army troops of the day, shift by shift by shift by shift, they got to know Paul, and Paul got to know them. Can you just kind of Im imagine about it? and um, what, what it must have been like. We get a glimpse of what Paul was like in prison when he was arrested and thrown in prison back in Philippi when, he, when things were starting, uh, when he encountered that Philippian jailer. So uh, Paul and Silas, what were they doing there? They were praying and singing hymns. Can you imagine being guard, a guard chained to Paul as he's praying away, singing away? You're not going to miss that, are you? Uh, they would have seen, a, a, I guess, a steady stream of visitors uh, to see Paul who were sharing stories of how Jesus has been at work in people's lives. And they're listening in. They're seeing Paul delighting in these stories. They're hearing Paul give uh, encouragements to, to other believers, to other churches. Every mealtime, every bit of food they put in front of him. You know, they, maybe they were thinking, give him the worst possible food and see what happens. But every time he's there and he gives thanks to God for all that he's given him. And what about when Paul just turned to each guard and asked how the family were? And what he could pray for them? Incredible opportunity. But there's more, Paul says. It's not just that. Not only is the gospel being heard by people who would likely never hear it otherwise, but did you spot it? Other Christians are becoming bolder and braver in their sharing of faith in Jesus because of Paul's example. He says in verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, I don't think any of this means that Paul's experience was enjoyable. And I don't think Paul is doing that thing where he's just pretending that things are okay. We're really good at doing that, aren't we? How are you? Fine, I'm fine. I mustn't grumble. I don't want to be a burden. We're really good at doing that. I don't think Paul's doing that here. I'm actually, he... We'll see next week, he, he goes on later in chapter 1, to, he talks about wanting to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. At the end of chapter 2, he, he talks about his sorrow. 
Things are not easy for Paul. Let's not pretend. And there is much in the Bible that, that God uses to show us that the life following Jesus is not going to be a life that's straightforward or simple or easy or comfortable or free from struggle. And actually, for many of us, our experience of following Jesus isn't the normal experience for a Christian. We've had it very easy. If you look at Christians down through history, if you look at Christians around the world today, that life is far from easy. But with Jesus, opposition can bring opportunity. Pain can become purposeful. Disappointments can bring direction. Hurt can mean you can help and hope, give help and hope to others. You see it in the it happening in the in the lives of uh, Christians today in, in a whole range of different ways. And I'd love to share two stories uh, with you this evening. The first one is uh, a story I read this week in my uh, Open Doors uh, prayer diary. Open Doors is a Christian charity supporting persecuted Christians around the world, and it's the story of uh, Baha. He's a young Christian man in Egypt. And because of the part of Egypt he lives in, because he's a follower of Jesus, there's basically no job opportunities for him. The only place he can go and work is in a dangerous quarry. You know, health and safety, what's that? Uh, and uh, a few years ago, um, he, his arm was severed off in an accident with one of the cutting machines in the quarry. So he's lost his arm. Fast forward a couple of years later, in the same quarry he's working in, his brother loses his life. So he's lost his arm. He's lost his brother. It feels like his, his life is falling apart. And it says in the prayer diary, reflecting on his past struggles, I mean, that's putting it mildly, isn't it? Baha has come to understand that his hardships are not punishments from God. He has seen that the law brings good out of those tragic situations. Actually, Baha's uh, story, uh, he has contact with Open Doors uh, and they're able to provide him with a microloan, just a small bit of funding to help him set up a sheep farming business. That's been going for a little while now and it's been quite successful. It started to turn a profit. He's able to provide for his family in a way he never imagined he'd be able to. And he's just bought a house which he thought would be impossible. Or uh, a Christian, another story, a Christian a friend of mine, he's, he's a landscaper, and I, was, I met up with him the other day, and we were talking through uh, life uh, and everything that's going on, and he was, he was telling me that the electrician that he used for years and years and years on projects had retired, and he was kind of grumbling, a bit of a faff trying to find an electrician who will come and do the work that he wants, uh, and he'd spent hours uh, trying to source somebody, trying to find somebody, uh, and it just, it just seemed like a big headache that he didn't need. And then he found somebody. And um, on the first project, um, they went off to the, uh, the wholesalers to get various bits and bobs. And they're chatting in the truck. And this, this electrician my friend has found um, starts just sharing a little bit about, about life. And he, he, says, he says to my friend, well, you kind of know there are three things. They've done research into this, he says. Three things that mean people will be happy. Uh, one is to have a significant other person in their life, you know, whether that's a, a spouse or a... You know, a parent or a child or a friend, you know, a significant other person to share life with. Uh, the second thing is to have your health. Uh, and the third one is to believe in something that's bigger than yourself, my friend says. He's sitting in the truck driving going, this is brilliant. 
Let me tell you about the third one. Let me tell you my story about Jesus. What had seemed like a complete faff to my friends and a complete headache had turned out this amazing opportunity to speak about Jesus in a, in a really natural, normal way uh, to this now new colleague of his. And I share that story because actually when we hear Paul's story of being locked up, when we hear Baha's story of losing an arm and losing a brother, that feels a little bit over there. My friend's story feels like that. That could be something to do with us. You see, with Jesus... Um, Opposition can turn to opportunity. Pain can become purposeful. Disappointments can become directing. And hurt can bring help and hope for others. It's the way we see God work again and again through the pages of the Bible. Just think of some of the famous stories in the Bible. Think of Joseph. Think of the story of Naomi and Ruth. Think of the story of Daniel. Think of the story of Esther. Think of Paul. Think of Jesus. It's the Jesus way. Jesus had and experienced the worst humanity could direct towards him. He was nailed to a cross. And yet we're told God raised Jesus from the dead. Dead, Death could not hold on to Jesus. And in the same way, it can't hold on to anyone who belongs to Jesus. Because that very worst thing that happened to Jesus becomes a sacrifice that pays for our sin. It means our judgment has been faced. It means our shame has been taken. The very worst that happened to Jesus becomes the very best for us. It becomes good news for us. And we can rejoice. We can rejoice, no matter what your circumstance is this evening, because Jesus is greater than any of our circumstances. And the second thing I think we see in Paul here, Jesus is greater than our circumstances. Jesus is greater than our reputation. Paul's out of action, isn't he? He's he's busy chained to these guards. He's busy telling them about Jesus. And we're told in verse 15 of others who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17, so they, they do it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for Paul while he's in chains. Now, Paul doesn't name names. He's quite kind in kind of not doing that. I suppose he could have. And so we don't know who he's exactly he's talking about. I guess the Philippians probably knew. But it seems there was a group of Christians who were quite pleased that Paul was sidelined, that he was temporarily out of action. Maybe, maybe they'd been Christians who felt they'd just been in Paul's shadow for too long and it, it was their time to shine. Uh, maybe they were just, they, they struggled every time Paul turned up somewhere. Everybody stopped listening to them and started going off and listening to Paul. We don't quite know. But what we do know is that even with people ripping up Paul's reputation, these were people who weren't ripping up or messing about with the message of Jesus. It's the same gospel. And because of that, Paul's able to rejoice. He's able to say, well, no matter what people think about me, people are getting to hear about Jesus. And they're given the chance to respond. And for that reason, I rejoice, he says. Paul's concern is not his own reputation, what others think about him. It it reminds me of the story in in Luke chapter 10 of when Jesus sends out the 72. uh, And they they kind of go out and they have these amazing experiences and they come back to Jesus and uh, and they say to him, um, they come back buzzing with joy and they they, they say to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Isn't this amazing? Look what we can do in your name, Jesus. This is amazing. What does Jesus reply? 
says, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is only one person's opinion of you that truly matters. Jesus. If you belong to him, no matter what anyone else might think of you, because of him your name is written in his book of life. Now that doesn't give us freedom to go around and upset as many people as we like and be totally obnoxious. I'm sure some Christians do try to do that sometimes. But it does give me something to think about when I find myself holding back from just saying something about Jesus to somebody because I'm worried about what they might think about. I already know what the Lord God Almighty, my Heavenly Father, thinks about me. And it's got nothing to do with how well I'm doing, or have done, or will do. It's completely tied up to belonging to Jesus. Surely in that moment then, what matters for that person in front of me is not what they think about me, or thinking well about me, but them having the opportunity to think well about Jesus. You see, my reputation, my legacy... It's not going to last. If I asked you this evening to give me the names of all your great-grandparents, could you do it? I can't. One day my name will be forgotten. But there is one name that should never be forgotten. The name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is always going to be bigger and greater than our circumstances. He is bigger and greater than our reputation. And you know what? It's strange as though it might sound, that is the source of joy. That is what allows us to be freed to serve each other eagerly. That's what's going to help us to stand firm together, strive together for the faith of the gospel. That good news of Jesus Christ.